We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Joir. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff, we have liftoff. Welcome back to Ten Questions. Now, I have news. You may have noticed the new artwork advertising the show. Well, that's because 10 Questions is now published by the good people at nearly.com.au. And unlike me, they're organized. Other shows on Nearly include The Clappers, hosted by Carl Quinn and Andrew Young, which reviews and discusses TV, film and music. And Dave O'Neill's The Debrief, which involves Dave taking comedians for a ride in his car after a gig and talking to them about how it went and comedy in general. Ten Questions is glad to be in their company. Now, today my guest is the comedian and host Tom Ballard. Very smart guy. Ducks of his school, studied law at university, but quit law for comedy. He was soon picked up by Triple J and hosted his breakfast show for four years before quitting that for comedy. Since then, he's hosted an episode of Q&A, the Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras on SBS, and the ABC panel show reality check and along the way he's performed some groundbreaking and award-winning one-man comedy shows which we're going to talk about later in the interview as usual i start by asking tom when he was most happy when i think of like the the happiest time in my life and i don't i don't think of it like i want to go back to this time in my life where i'm not happy now you know i i generally consider myself to be a happy person i feel very lucky in life but the the moment when I think, you know, everything really hit me in terms of how happy I was and how good I thought life could be was probably when I was first in love uh, for the first time, really, yeah. you know, with my first boyfriend and things were going okay in my career and everything was just sort of um, popping. How, how, <laughs> okay. how long ago was that? It would have been 2009. I was 19 years old, living in Melbourne, and uh, and yeah, I just had amazing friends, and I was making a living, and it's had representation as a comedian, and I was in love, really in love for the first time, and wow. yeah, I was really happy. Yeah, and and uh, and how long did that relationship last? <laughs> how long did the happiness last? When, <laughs> yeah, when did it end? Um, we, I think that we, what were we, we were together for about, um, a year and a half and, uh, yes, it was, it was, it all ended because I moved cities. I had to move from Melbourne to Sydney to, uh, to go on Triple J and do the breakfast show there. So I had to change my whole city and we tried to do a long distance thing. Uh, my boyfriend at the time had sort of, I was his first boyfriend. He'd just come out and when we were away from each other, you know, just, the, the, the reality of being in different cities and I think him wanting to explore the world of being a big old gay yeah. sort of was part of it. And, um, you know, eventually that, yeah, it ended and that made me extremely sad. That's the brutal part of happiness is when it ends, when you're really happy and then it ends, that's when you're the most sad. Oh, yeah, the come down. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a drug. Well, it is. <laughs> Question two is who would you like to apologize to and why? Whenever I, <laughs> whenever I think of like my biggest regret in life, I, I which I know is another question, but I, this is not my biggest regret. But I have something in my head that makes me think of when I was um, seven years old in year one. I was living in Ballarat, and as a school group, we were going on a walk around Lake Wendouree in Ballarat. 
and this one guy was being a bully to another kid and he was being really mean to him and I didn't like that. And so I grabbed his hat, his cap off his head and pretended like I was going to throw it into the lake and I was like teasing him like that, saying, hey, stop bullying that guy, otherwise I'll throw your hat in the lake. But I didn't want to throw it in the lake and then I accidentally let go of the hat and it um, flew off and landed in the water. <laughs> and the what? I'm pretty bad, pretty badass. The wave of guilt and horror and embarrassment that I feel of that was so intense. You know, as a kid, when anything goes wrong, everything's so intense. So I always think of that uh, whenever I think of um, guilt or having to apologize to people. Right, so, so you got probably a, you got a, a strong social conscience kind of in, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Well, I guess yes. I guess yes. I feel guilty about that. I was supposed to be the champion of the um, of the downtrodden, but um, I ended up being the bully myself. Man, but you, lesson you, in that for everyone. You were protecting someone. Uh, I was. I was standing up for the little guy, man. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Um, and you would have been. You're quite tall, aren't you? So you would have been quite tall as a kid. <laughs> I can't. I think I would have been a little bit bigger than most kids. Yeah, when I was in, about seven years old, maybe. Yeah, I can't quite remember. I think the guy, kid's name was Lyndon. Sorry, yeah, Lyndon. Sorry, Lyndon. He may have outgrown that hat now, so he'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Question three, Tom. What is your greatest regret? It's so hard, isn't it? Because, you know, I don't believe everything happens for a reason. I'm not one of those people. But I do, it is hard to think of, you know, things bad things happen in your life, but then looking back in hindsight, you're like, well, um, you know, that was bad, but something good came out of it, or that happened, and then that led to something, or I learned and I grew from that. Of course, if nothing bad ever happened to you, you'd be an insufferable person, and you wouldn't learn anything about <laughs> life or being a human being. Um, True. I guess I just regret um, the time I wasted worrying about being gay, probably. just I And, you know, there's no great... Um, fix for this or, or silver bullet for this but it was just you know I just think of all that time that I spent really being really sad or mm. hating that part of myself and keeping that inside and freaking out about it and you know stressing myself out about that reality of myself I just wish I wish obviously that myself and any queer kids you know have that are safe with the knowledge that there's nothing wrong with them and it's not something to be ashamed of or to push down or deny. It's, it's something that you can embrace and it's totally fine. So what were yeah. the what was the ages but like that included that worry? So um, how old were you when you started going, oh, okay. And then how old were you when you kind of got over it? I think I had – I started to have – if I'm honest, you know, starting to have thoughts about that, you know, would speak to homosexuality would have been, you know, when I was 13 or 14, just starting high school, but then, you know, was, was absolutely not letting that possibility into my head. Mm-hmm. When I was about 15, I sort of came out to myself, I guess. I guess I just sat myself down and sort of realized that I couldn't keep denying this anymore and there was a truth there that I had to be honest about. Mm-hmm. But I didn't tell anyone that for about three years, so, yeah, until I was about 18 before I started coming out to my friends and family. And then, um, I mean, yeah, even then after that, you know, it took years before I felt truly comfortable with myself and uh, yeah, I think initially you can be happy despite the fact you're gay. Like that's where you're at. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm gay, but that's okay. But other stuff in my life I'm not going to worry about. Now mm-hmm. I'm happy because I'm gay. Like I wouldn't actually change this thing because it is a fundamental part of who I am and the things I've learned, the things that it, that it's given me as a human being. Yeah. 
yeah. uh, have been really awesome and worthwhile, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what was so you you came out to your friends and family around seventeen, eighteen. I think you talked about this on Agony actually, and and was that a big was that a big thing for you? Was it um, okay? I'm going to do that on Tuesday, or um, <laughs> did it come up in conversation? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, telling. I, I wrote a letter to my cousin Lucy, who's the same age as me. She was sort of the big one. The first time I actually put it into words, and uh-huh. then uh, and then I yes came out to mum and dad one day, sat them down, and just sort of blurted it out. I mean, it was certainly no surprise to them. I was already a member of an anti-homophobia group by that point. <laughs> <laughs> and when I come out, came out to my mum, uh, she gave me a hug and said, I love you, that's fine. Then she went went off to her room and came back with a book that she'd bought called My Child is Gay. Oh, my so God. So it clearly had some inclinations. Yeah. Where little was at in that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Your question four is, what will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? Oh, my word. Um, I think there's, there's so many things, really, honestly. I mean, there's a, there's a huge list of things that I really want to do. I want to travel more. I want to see more of the world. I would love to learn another language. I feel like mm. it's insane that I, I will go through my life living only, knowing only one language, really. I was yeah. okay Japanese at high school. I think I would love to revise that and go back to that and learn that. I think seeing the world through the lens of another language would, would be pretty incredible. Mm. Um, and uh, a satisfactory life. I mean, I, I want to do something great. You know, I want to do something that makes the world a better place for a really long time for a lot of people. Do, um, yeah. Do, do you find that um, the career that you've chosen – uh, has access <laughs> does it allow for that? Has access to that? Yeah, well, I mean, no, I, I think it does. I really do think it does. You have a great opportunity to influence people and get and get a positive message out there. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think it is. Do you think it is? Um, I I don't I don't know honestly. I actually I actually don't know. I. You know, over the past couple of years, I've become a bit more engaged, and I care. I've you know, I've tried to educate myself a bit more and learn stuff, and 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 I've um, become friends with people who are politically active far more than me, like people, actual activists, and mm. you know, people who are pretty extreme in those views, or actual politicians, people who sort of dedicate their time and their energy and their health to the cause of 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 politics and political action and making things better. Mm. And I just, I just think that broadly, anything that we do, sort of pales in comparison to that stuff. Like yeah. human rights lawyers or whatever, I, I just think they're extraordinary people who, who actually do the hard work. As a comedian or entertainer, you get a whole lot more credit for doing anything than you deserve. I think that's certainly true. People, <laughs> true. people lose their mind if you just say, "Hey, racism's bad." <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've but, got Tom Bella. You know, he's he's part of our he's part of our cause. It's, it's very He's exciting. making change. Oh, it's so important what you're doing. No, it isn't really. What's important is that, yeah, there are lawyers out there representing refugees and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I think if you become crazy rich and famous and then you, you channel that energy and love and goodwill and money into good causes, then you can certainly have a big impact. I think that's great. But mm. 
But I think, it, yeah, I think if I'm being honest, yeah, I think anything that's that's really makes an impact and le- leaves a lasting change and really means something, it's probably in a sphere slightly outside of entertainment, I think. So Tom quite rightly says that people who have jobs that actually help the world put entertainers in the shade. But does he still love being an entertainer, particularly a stand-up comedian? Yeah, um, I mean, yes, being doing a show in front of people who have come to see me and, and doing comedy that I think, like, represents me and i think is super funny and being at the center of that and making people laugh that is that is really amazing yeah i yeah. love that we talked about other stand-up comedians who have taken tv and radio jobs and then left stand-up behind but that's never been a consideration for tom who sees stand-up as the ultimate vehicle in getting his message across you know when you go into other things i mean you you you, you get an appreciation for stand-up sort of retrospectively you yeah. know like even you know, I got to do breakfast on Triple J, and that was an amazing job, and I loved it. But even in that context of this super cool radio station, there was moments where I'm just like, oh, this is – fuck this. <laughs> like, yeah. This yeah. is just a bit of bureaucracy, and I'd rather be on stage saying exactly what I want to say in front of adults and, you know, none mm. of this kind of, you know, bullshit public sphere broadcasting stuff. You know, you're <laughs> actually talking about fucked up weird stuff and dark things and swearing and – and um, you know, trying to be as funny as you are around your your best mates, you know, that's that's when stand up's at its best. And yeah. the freedom of that is kind of very rarely replicated in almost any other medium. But don't expect Tom to give up TV and radio either. He's a born host. We move on to question five. Who is the person who most influenced Tom, and how? <sighs> do you, uh, yeah. Do you mean professionally or personally or either? I guess either. Yeah. I mean, the the single most continuous uh, inspirational person I, I look up to creatively is Daniel Kitson, yeah. um, who's a British comedian who people you know may well be familiar with, particularly if you're a comedy fan. Um, you know, seeing his comedy has just changed my life, and every time mm. I see him, I'm inspired and depressed because <laughs> he's so good, mm. and um, I, I just think he is absolutely unique one of a kind and someone that makes you think about all the possibilities of what live theater slash stand-up can do tom talked about how he listens to recordings of kits and shows and i asked how because i've often gone searching for recordings of the famously private comedian's work and come up short uh he has released some of them on his band camp which you can buy but there are also quite as there's quite a world of uh kits and bootlegs out there which Ooh. i know he's not happy about but um Screw it. He doesn't come to Australia that often doing doing brand new shows. So uh, there's a few of them floating around. Yeah. The I think the sixth question is question six is when was the last time you cried and why? Um, in terms of a big old sitting down and bawling, I can't quite recall when the last one was. Um, I'm a big softy though, and I often um, get tears in my eyes. Uh, I often when I'm moved. And uh, honestly, last time was this weekend just gone. I went to GetUp's Power Up event. They had this big weekend where they got GetUp members from all across the country and did this training. And um, the plan is that GetUp is, you know, going to uh, grow its influence ten times. And they're getting all these action groups out there and progressive people coming together and trying to fight for what they believe in. And Sally Rugg, who's the head of the marriage equality campaign for GetUp, um, gave a speech. She just talked about how she felt when she first realized she was gay and how she she compared it to feeling like she got cancer 
and her journey to accepting herself and loving her life and just the way she talked about how important it is that we win this fight and the sort of inspiring words that she said to make sure that we do win this fight. Um, yeah, that gave me a few chills and, um, and uh, yeah, I teared up a little bit then, yeah. How, 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 what did she say particularly, particularly to actually help win the fight? Because it's, it, it's very murky at the moment. I just, as, you know, as it was always going to be, it's very, um, I mean, what can people do to actually, you know, to ensure there's a positive outcome with it, with this? Well, look, I mean, I agree with you. At the moment, it doesn't seem clear. There, there was one poll that just came out today that actually makes me feel a little bit better That's that, that was looking pretty good, um, something like 58% support for marriage equality and 72% of people who have already voted have voted yes, apparently, according to this essential poll. That makes That's me feel great. good. But, you know, it's actually, it's actually not about that. It's actually the truth that, the fundamental truth being that even if we lose this, this particular bullshit process to try and get this reform through that that actually doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things we're not going anywhere the fight for equality and the fight against prejudice and the fight to be recognized as full citizens will continue it will keep continuing until that one fine day when we are treated equally and you know in moments like this i just feel the the weight of all the people who have gone before and the struggle of of, mm. of queer people, of people of colour for decades and decades and hundreds of years fighting against bullshit, um, the, their strength and their sacrifice to make make so much happen, including, you know, the fact that I get to be myself and live openly uh, today. I just I find that very overwhelming and very inspiring. Um, so in that room, it was more just like, you know, we know that this is right. We're on the right side of history. We're on the side of justice, and um, these fuckers aren't going to win. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's uh, Hugh West Wing music. Just want to take a quick break and say that you can catch more of Tom Ballard on Dave O'Neill's podcast, The Debrief, which will be released on Thursday. But while he's still with us, let's go to question seven. What's his current state of mind? My current state of mind? Um, that's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm generally pretty good, I think. Um, where is my mind at? Um, I, I feel good about life. Again, my, my general cure for whenever I'm feeling down or particularly pissed off or depressed or a bit you know a bit whatever is the is perspective i just i just you know the more you learn about the rest of the world and the more you learn about other people's lives the more i find my problems kind of diminish in scale you know i have a i have a beautiful family i have awesome friends i've got my health i live in australia one of the best you know the most livable countries in the world whatever that means but you know i'm safe and and I get to do what I love for a living. So, in the general scheme of things, um, any anything that comes up and I find quite annoying, I manage to deal with relatively quickly because, you know, I'm not a refugee on Manus Island. So yeah, that's I, I, I'm generally quite quite happy in that respect. If I if I think about the world in general and sort of the state of uh, say politics or the state of humanity, then I get a little bit more overwhelmed and want to curl up a bit and cry. But. Mm. Um, me personally, I, I'm extremely lucky in so many different ways that I managed to uh, hang on to um, not being too self-pitying, I think. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's 
that's great. Um, question eight. Tell is, me, mate. What, what about you? What's your state of mind? See what I mean about him being a natural host. Moving on to question eight. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Oh boy, my greatest achievement. How could I choose but one? Um, <laughs> look, I mean, I, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I consider it an achievement to just be a working comedian, to be able to make a living yeah. out of uh, doing comedy and uh, making a living off this, and you know, ga- ga- gathering an audience of people who seem to like what I do and the jokes I tell. That's kind of that's kind of cool. Not everyone gets to do that at no. all. And, no. Working hard at that for a long time. It's yeah. one of those things where you, I sort of didn't realize until maybe pretty recently. You actually look back and you go, oh, wow, I've actually been doing this for for quite a while and have just been sort of working hard at it a fair bit and have been, you know, sort of just consciously taking it day by day or month by month and eventually, you know, working up to something that you're, you're pretty proud of. Um, but... Uh, but my my show last year uh, called Boundless Pains to Share, which was this seventy minute comedy lecture about Australia's treatment of refugees. Um, to me, I was really proud of that because I just I thought it was um, I thought it was a funny show first of all, which is the number one job of a comedy show. It was um, it, it was different. No one else was doing anything like it, as far as I could tell. And it was about something that meant a lot to me. And I managed to sort of do both those things. I managed to make people laugh and also. Um, you know, I think move them or make them care about this thing that that I care a lot about as well. And so it was this kind of hybrid of stand-up theatre, and it just sort of seemed to struck a chord with a lot of a lot of people. And um, I got to do it this year at the Comedy Theatre in front of like 700 people, and that was yeah oh, one of the wow. best shows of my my whole life. And uh, I felt really proud of that. Yeah. Oh, that's great! That's fantastic. Boundless Plains to Share is a line from the forgotten second verse of the Australian national anthem. And Tom Show, by that name, won a 2016 Helpman Award and was nominated for the 2016 Edinburgh Comedy Award. And we move on to question nine. Who would you want on your side in a battle and why? A physical battle? It can be physical, it can be comedy, it can be <laughs> work. <laughs> um, who do I want on my side? Um, I mean, yeah, it does, it does depend on the battle. Um <laughs> I reckon uh, <laughs> I'll say Bernie Sanders. I just I feel yeah. like whatever side, whatever team Bernie Sanders is on is probably probably doing pretty well. Yes. Um, yes, he's probably he's probably if you if you're fighting alongside him, I'd feel pretty good about that, and I feel like he'd uh, have the tenacity to support me and help me and save me. That's right. He's, he's, he's <laughs> all the rock. He's doing all the rock. <laughs> I reckon, yeah. I think on both on both counts, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah, you looked after intellectually and physically. Yes, both of them are kind of <laughs> funny as well. So, yeah, yeah. The final question, Tom. <laughs> the final question is, what would you like your last words to be? Oh God. Um. What what's the Oscar Wilde quote? Is it about the curtains? Does that sound right? Do you remember that? Uh, I mean, Oscar, Oscar Wilde said something about the curtains as his final words. I'm looking it up right now. Uh, famous last words: "Either this wallpaper goes, or I do." Oscar Wilde, <laughs> that was classic. 
So I, that's, you know, <laughs> what a gay. Um, I mean, you'd love something funny, wouldn't you? You'd love something funny and everyone would be like, oh, what a classic, what a classic funny man. <laughs> but uh, uh, to be, to be again, my painful, earnest self, uh, I think of Heather Heyer, who was the woman who was killed in Charlottesville, and apparently one of the, her last posts on, face, on Facebook maybe or social media was, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. Wow. And uh, I think I think that was interesting because I think there's a lot of talk about outrage, and I think we certainly, as a society and a culture, get outraged about the wrong thing, and the way we channel that outrage is often really fucked up. But I think there's a pretty good argument to say that, um, yeah, being angry about injustice in the world is a really good thing, and it's pretty easy, particularly if you're couched in privilege, to ignore that stuff and not worry about it. Um, or not keep up to date with just how fucked things are at the moment. And, um, yeah, being angry and being worked up about it and going to the streets to try and help people uh, to fight that injustice I think is a really admirable thing. So I'm yep. going to steal that from the... <laughs> I think it's a good one. Thank you. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Do you ever think about the call takers and dispatchers at 911? They're the unsung heroes of our public safety system, the first among first responders. Their jobs are stressful and demanding, yet they keep us safe and calm in life-or-death situations every day. Let's join together and thank the professionals at 911 for being there when we need them most, for saving lives and protecting communities. Show your support for 911. Visit thankyou911.org. That's thankyou911.org.